thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations. So until then, keep that fire burning. Today's guest is Kimberly Kesterkey, and she is the founder of the W-2 Landlord and has over 15 years of experience managing her own rental portfolio from a distance. At the age of 26, Kimberly found herself as an accidental landlord. She was $30,000 underwater on her home due to the economic crash and was then asked to relocate three hours away from her job. Over the past 15 years, Kimberly has built a six-figure cash-flowing portfolio all from managing properties from a distance. Building effective processes through trial and error, Kimberly has proven strategies for placing tenants, for managing contractors, and fulfilling maintenance requests. Kimberly, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for having me. Sure. It's really a pleasure because just a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to talk to one of my clients about her next chapter, and she is extremely interested in the real estate area. So this podcast show is going to definitely be something she's going to be interested in listening to. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey you've had over the last 15 years? Absolutely. So I bought a house back in 2006. And as we know what happened about two years later, the economy crashed and I was about $30,000 underwater on the home. And I was being relocated from the town I was in to another city for work. And I just, I honestly didn't have $30,000 to bring to the closing table. So I decided at that point to pivot and rent it out to a really nice couple. And that's really what started my real estate investing journey or, or being a landlord. And over the next, I would say five years, I learned how to manage the property, how to respond to maintenance requests. I learned how to just manage all the different processes, but most importantly, from a distance. I think that a lot of people think that you have to live down the street from your rental property or in the same city. And a lot of these things that I've learned can be repeated over and over again, even hours or states away. And how far away do you live from the properties that you own now? Four hours is the majority of my properties, but I've even started exploring in investing in other states. So I would say North Dakota is the furthest from me. I live in Georgia. So you can even invest as far away as North Dakota or a few states away. That's interesting. I've thought about real estate investing, and I know one of the things that made me hesitate, especially being a landlord, is the responsibility. And you mentioned that you're a distance away, but you found a way to manage with all of the the requirements that your tenants might have. So can you share just a little bit of what that looks like for you? Absolutely. And I think over the years, it's gotten a lot easier because we are moving to such an online digital world. Uh, But at the time, how I did it is I'd go into Google, I'd search a handyman or I would search an electrician. And it took a while to find the ones that I could trust and rely on that did good work, but also were affordable because finding that good mix can sometimes be a challenge. And once I found that good mix, I kept them in my phone. 
And so really it came down to if the tenant put in a maintenance request for something that was more handyman related, I had two to three people to call. If it was an, a, a plumbing issue, because usually like drippy pipe, the most common, you know, I had somebody that could go out there and respond pretty quickly. And then you also put into your lease parameters where you give the tenant instructions and expectations on how long will it take you to respond? So they have to submit the maintenance request. You have 24 hours to respond. That really eliminates the whole tenants and toilets, which a lot of people are worried about getting 2 a.m. phone calls. But when you put in that 24-hour response time for non-emergency things, it really helps make the experience a lot more pleasant. So when you got the, the request from your company to relocate and you knew you had to go, so you said you were $30,000 underwater and you had to figure out a way you flipped the switch, did a pivot, got some renters in. Tell us a little bit about your process of qualifying your renter. So the process is a few steps. So first you want to define as a landlord, what credit score limits or range do you want? You want to define rent to income. You know, how many times the rent do you prefer having them show you proof in terms of their income? And those can vary depending on market or landlord specific. Now, I work with a lot of landlords that they love just different types of strategies and they don't mind maybe somebody with a lower credit score. And then I work with other landlords that are like, you know, no, you know, in our market, we want a higher one. So it, it all depends really. So as a landlord, you want to define that, but you want to figure out how much income proof that you want to see. You want to see what your credit score limit is as a landlord, but then also too, you want to be able to do a background check and the way that I do it. And there's a lot of really cool tools out there. My favorite one personally is Zillow. They actually have a rental manager app and website, and you can put your property on that. It's extremely easy to use and you can send an application link. You never have to touch anything. You don't have to collect money. Zillow does all of that. And then they generate the report and they basically show the three things that you're looking for. And you're immediately able to see if the tenant falls into your qualification parameters. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So on this very first property that you had, you used to live there and then you rented it out. So what was the time period between that time and your, your next purchase? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So, so I bought that property in 2006 and then it wasn't until 2014 that I started getting really serious again. I think I felt like going through the 2008 downturn, you know, I was a little wary, although I had a lot of success with that one rental property. I always had tenants, never saw a vacancy, but I think it took some time for me to kind of feel a little bit safer doing it. And once I got started though, back in 2014, I was able to get a duplex and then another one and then really start building and accelerating the portfolio. And a lot is, really attributed to the experience I gained with that one property. And so my advice is depending on your risk tolerance, there's some people that will go out and get a hundred units in a year. And I think that's awesome. But if your risk tolerance isn't that aggressive, I say, start with one, get your processes in place where it's manageable. And then you can start repeating those processes over and over again. And did you find that you actually got much more momentum once you brought that second to the third, to the fourth? Because it sounds like that's exactly what happened. Now my portfolio is 20 units and I was able to do that in just a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, utilizing conventional loans or there's some seller financing strategies that are out there where you can actually negotiate the sale directly with the seller. 
And so between those two things, you know, I was really able to ramp up my portfolio. Owner financing or even seller finance or the owner carry backs the loan. Like you'll hear those different terms. You know, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you mentioned that you look at this as a another way or another avenue of saving or investing in your retirement. Can you talk to me or share what your thought process is around that? Because you currently are W-2. And you enjoy your job, which is a good thing. I mean, it's one thing to have a W-2 and hate your job, okay? But it's another thing to actually enjoy the work that you do. And you have this, it's really not even a side hustle. It's a flat out business. But as it relates to investing, how do you see what you do complementing the traditional way of investing for, let's say, your later years towards retirement? So the way I look at it is for my retirement years, what I wanted was I wanted an asset that would cash flow. So, you know, 401ks can provide that cash flow. I just understood real estate a, a lot more than all the other avenues out there. And also I found that through appreciation and other benefits such as tax breaks that you get with real estate, as well as inflation protection, those three things, I felt if I have this amount of dollars, I want to put it into land or real estate because it's going to give me a cash flow when I'm ready to retire. I can depend on it. I understand it. And people are always going to need a place to live. So for me, it felt really, really safe. But I think all investment vehicles are amazing, but, but real estate has a really special way of accelerating wealth and net worth in a way that some of the other vehicles just don't have the capacity to do. So, but the but the nice thing is, is that commercial is considered five units or above. And then, of course, businesses and things. So residential is still considered one unit to four. And I've gone all the way up to the quad and the way that or the four unit. The way I look at it is, again, it's all about comfort level. I'm more of a conservative investor. So I know that I can get a duplex rented extremely quickly. I know all of that, those ins and outs. Once you get into more of the commercial properties or multifamily, it's a different loan structure, different financing, different, different everything. So I just kind of focusing on the one thing that the area that I feel confident in and just rinse and repeating. So as you start to <laughs> yeah. venture outside of the state of Georgia into, you mentioned North Dakota. I mean, what would be some of the criteria that you would use to identify properties there? That's a great question. So you want to be able to take a look and there's different websites you can look such as Neighborhood Scout or so on. You want to be able to see how much economy is in that city. So I typically look for three to five things, whether it's a big hospital, military base, uh, some sort of big industry it could be a university. Those are some of the big anchors that I look for. And I want to see at least three, ideally five. But the reason why I picked three is I always looked at it kind of as a table analogy. If one of the industries leaves the city, you still have two supporting it. But if you're depending all your eggs in one basket, it's a university or a military base, and that's all you have you know, there's just a little bit more risk or the tenants not coming in if that industry leaves. So I, I definitely look at that. I also look at average, like kind of median income. I like, I really like more of the middle class. They call them class B or C properties because you've got a lot of people that are either working at the local facility, the local hospital, and they need places to rent. So there's a lot of demand. So those are some of the things that I personally look for. I'm sure you've had some very interesting experiences and some challenges as it relates to tenants and maybe even contractors. What are some of the lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started out, when it came to vetting contractors, I just really would Google, find some contractors and just have them go ahead and do the job. And I would always pick the person that was the cheapest. I think what I've learned throughout this entire process is that really the cheapest isn't always the most experienced. And a lot of times the person that's in the middle or even the person that's up at the top, what it does is they save you money on the back end. Because when I was hiring the cheapest labor or the cheapest contractors, I found I had to get it redone. And then I was paying for it twice. So just something to keep in mind to always consider that middle or maybe the top quote. Um, don't always go for the lowest price quote. Makes a lot of sense. So with the experience that you have with the W-2 landlord, have you created anything that would help a person who's interested in doing something like what you're doing while currently working and kind of interested in real estate, but don't really know how to get started? So I have an ebook that I pulled together and it's um, 30 days. I call it back to basics, but it's really a good way for somebody who's interested in getting into real estate investing to kind of take a 30-day approach day by day. It has different action items and then just different teaching tools. I would highly recommend if anybody's interested in getting started, um, you can find that on my website at the w2landlord.com. It's 19 bucks and it's just a really good way for people to just kind of start from the beginning. No, I think that's great. I think that's great. There's a lot of places to go for information, you know, between just Google searches. And then of course you go to YouTube and there's a myriad of experts, but being referred to someone I think would make a big difference. I'm hoping that through the next chapter experience exposure, that there may be several people who are interested in taking a look at that because like you say, it's another avenue. I had a show sometime last year and I talked about the opportunities in cryptocurrencies, perhaps looking at cryptocurrencies as a way to complement your traditional investing. And I, I do believe strongly that real estate investing is another avenue for people and one that they might understand a little bit more. And it's like what Warren Buffett says, he says, only invest in investments that you understand. And you've mentioned real estate is something that you really get. That resonates, but take cryptocurrency, for example. I mean, it's, it's a really, there's a lot of really cool things happening with that. And we are going digital. Things are moving to digital. So I see a long-term path. I just personally need to research it more, but I, I think very highly of all the different investments out there, you know, what they have to offer. So you shared your thoughts about venturing into another market area like uh, North Dakota. So what's on the horizon for you as you start to think about yourself, your family, and what your aspirations are? I really like duplexes. And those are just, you know, the, the two unit properties out there. And what I'm playing around with um, a little bit that I'm having some success with is I ended up putting a uh, rental, a furnished rental in my basement. It's a small little 500 square foot studio. And I rent it out to traveling nurses and it pays them more. So I thought, well, gosh, you know, like a lot of people have these basements that are sitting empty. I want to teach people, you know, how they can go and do that and just have somebody that's there maybe three months at a time. Traveling nurses are awesome. You know, they're, they're very quiet and, you know, do that. So on top of that, I started thinking, well, there's a lot of three bedroom, two bath ranches at least in the Georgia area, that have these unfinished basements. So I'm starting a project of just kind of zeroing in on those and wiring them little by little, but you're basically renting out the top floor and then putting a furnished rental in the basement to just 
have two things going at once. And we're, this is this is an oddball question. I'm going to throw it out to you anyway. I have to, just I just had this thought. Where does Airbnbs that are rented by their owners does that fit into the mix at all of what you're thinking is as it relates to possible real estate opportunities? Yes, so it it does fit into the mix, and there's a lot of real estate investors that do the Airbnb, and it could be three nights at a time, a month at a time. I put a different spin on it, so I only have two properties that I Airbnb, and they're the furnished rentals in these basement apartments. So I make sure to put a month minimum because what I'm trying to do is not so much the short-term rental, but also not a long-term rental. Like I'm trying to capture the people that needs a place three to six months at a time, or maybe one month because they're in between selling their house and closing on their next one. There's just a lot of demand for that, at least in my area. And I think just the way the housing market is right now, just all over the country, that's really the parameters I use so that it reduces the amount of cleaning. It reduces the amount of turnover. It reduces the amount of damage to the space. Interesting, because I was down in the Atlanta area a couple of years ago. I was looking for a place to rent for about two weeks. The only downside was that um, I travel with my dog, and those there's not there was not one property that allowed a pet. And and I went to the extent of tracking down the owner. I mean, I did Google searches on who the owner was. I sent them a, a, a private email to explain who I was and my dog and how great she would be and never heard back from them. I was so disappointed because I really didn't need the place to stay. And I wanted, I didn't want to stay in a hotel. It's not easy yeah. <laughs> when you travel with your dog. I accept dogs. I haven't seen any major damage in due to a pet or an animal. And, and I, the way I look at it is we love our dogs. They're part of our family. So Furnished Finder is a really good one. If you're ever in that situation, again, it's called furnishedfinder.com. And there's a lot of people there that will probably rent with it because they cater a lot to the traveling nurses. Well, that's good to know. That is good mm-hmm. to know. I would definitely look into that. Now, do you ever do any consulting where you actually talk to a person about what they're trying to do or what their aspirations are in the real estate space? So I do take on coaching clients. So the offering I have is the ebook. I do one-on-one coaching. A lot of people can get some good value through the Facebook group that I have. It's just called W2 Real Estate investors. And there's a lot of really great interviews, free information that can really cover a lot of areas. And then if they feel that they want to dive deeper, then they can certainly schedule a one-on-one with me. And that's through my Calendly link. And it has different appointment scheduling times that people can choose if they just want to figure out a strategy of what would work for them. So we will definitely put all of your contact information in the show notes so that our listeners can track it down and find out everything that they need to know about how to contact you. As we start to close out our conversation, are there any other things that you would like the audience to know about that whole dynamic of being an employee as well as managing properties or being in business? Talk to a little bit more about that and why you chose to get that route rather than just let it go and do this real estate thing full time. The biggest thing was I wanted a retirement plan that I felt confident in. So that was the number one thing. And then I felt confident in real estate. So I would say for somebody who's interested in getting into real estate, they want to build net worth. They want to have cash flow coming in at retirement. They're at a place that they're not going to quit their job anytime soon. Then I would say just you start with one and really learn the processes because once you have a good process in place for tenant screening, 
for non-payment of rent, for things that violate the lease, or for just renewing leases and how to communicate on an increase in rent. All of a sudden, you know the process to lean on and things aren't as stressful. And then you can focus on the process to then give more bandwidth to the humanity part so that it's not just stressing out about what do I do here? You know what has to be done. So then you can spend a lot of your time with working through and coming to a good solution. So I would say it's very doable with a full-time job because if you're following your processes, you've got systems in place that you can manage both. And then if you don't want to manage the real estate on your own, you can always hire a property manager (laughs) and that will make your life so much easier. For sure. So, you know, another question uh, would be, what advice can you give to individuals who are looking at real estate and want to make sure that they are in the right financial position should they need to to acquire bank loans for some of their real estate purchases? So the, the really cool thing about real estate investing is there's different strategies for whatever credit level, income level people are at. So what I always like to figure out first is I always like to figure out what resources do you have available? Is it a lot of cash, great credit, or is it a lot of great time and hustle? And you just good at talking with people because everybody has their strength coming into this. And so then it's aligning that strength. So for instance, let's say somebody's, you know, really wanting to get into it, but they, they need to build up cash reserves. So there's what's called wholesaling. And there's another strategy called what is basically being a bird dog, where you see a property that could be an option. You send it to a real estate investor. And if it closes, you get a thousand bucks. That's one way to do it. Wholesaler is you're talking to sellers directly and you're working on putting that property under contract to then flip that contract over to a real estate investor. Then you then that wholesaler makes money in that transaction and deal. So those are so those are ways to do it to get started without any money. And then, you know, for people that want to maybe do more with their 401k, they could put the, their money into a self-directed IRA. Definitely make sure you're talking to advisors, people that know how to do that. But then you can actually start purchasing and getting bank loans with your 401k or if people who have savings, they can put 20% down, get a bank loan and get started that way. I just love real estate because there's just so many avenues to really build a strong, solid investment strategy. So you don't have to hire an attorney for the for the leases. There, You can buy leases online. I personally use the ones that property managers and real estate agents use. I went through and got my real estate license. So I use those, but for people that don't want to go get a real estate license, there's, there's a lot of really good leases out there that they can use. They very well can have an attorney take a look at it. I found that was never necessary. What I did find in terms of having somebody on your team initially is a really good CPA that knows real estate. There's a lot of great CPAs out there. You want to find the specialist, kind of like a doctor, you know, if you're going to an orthopedic surgeon for a certain thing, you want to go to a real estate specialized CPA for real estate investing because they can really help you tax plan and they can really help you find uh, deductions that aren't necessarily the most common in just a typical tax return. You decide to get a real estate license. What was it that you had in mind? So I wanted to get the license personally because I wanted to be able to have access to the inventory as fast as possible without necessarily having to line up with a real estate agent. 
And then it just ended up developing into kind of just a side hustle where I help investors find properties and match them up. But my original intent was anything that I purchased, I could get 3% back at closing to use for renovations mm -hmm. and to be able to have access to the homes right when they hit the market and be able to go see them, at least the ones that I actually physically go to see. That was an advantage for me. Very good. So, well, you mentioned something, the ones that you actually physically see. So now that you're thinking about going out of state or going even further out in Georgia, when you do buy these properties, it's not sight unseen. I'm sure you're using photographs and things of that nature. Talk a little bit about that process when you know that you're physically not going to go to see the property. What are some of the things that you have to be prepared for or how do you prepare yourself for that type of purchase? So that type of purchase, you want to definitely take a look at the pictures, but the biggest thing is always going to be the home inspection report. You go online, they have them in every market, every area, find one with a lot of good reviews, call them up, pay their price, and they'll go in and they'll inspect it. And they'll tell you every tiny little thing that you'll have to address or be aware of. And I found that that is definitely worth the money. Now, for some people, they might just find a handyman that can go and have access. They pay a little less than an inspection, but typically a lot of those contractors can point out the high level things like, oh, this needs a new roof. You're going to need new windows or this foundation really not looking good. Those are options as well. We're living in a virtual world, but you still want to have a sense of confidence in the properties that you're buying and using a home inspection right. company, I think is a good idea. See how I know. I, I did it sight unseen once and wasn't the best experience. Got out of it, but had to put some money in to get it to where it needed to go to sell it. And so, so yes, I highly recommend getting a home inspector out there, getting the report and then seeing if it's worth mm -hmm. you moving forward. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, this has been an eye opener. I talked to a lot of people and real estate always comes up. Real estate investment always comes up. So this conversation, I think, will be very, very important to a lot of people who are thinking about it. I get probably five to 10 calls a week from real estate agents asking if I want to sell my house. <laughs> Keep it. Don't let go of it. But I think just understanding what they're doing, what their motivation is, and what they're trying to accomplish in their walk in, in that real estate space is important as well. Because I think that many of us in certain market areas are getting those calls. And we do have the thought, hmm, maybe this is a great time to sell. But the reality is, is that if you sell your house and you still need a house, you have to buy another house, okay? Yeah. Well, this is going to be an interesting podcast to listen to because you've done it all. I mean, you started at the tender age of 26 and we had your first experience with it and hung in there. And I think that's quite impressive. And then you've learned along the way what it takes to stick and stay. You're doing a fantastic job. So I would say you keep on doing what you're doing and keep on expanding the way you're expanding. I've enjoyed our conversation today and I'm looking forward to sharing your contact information and as well as your ebook, because I do believe that ebook is going to be very important for those who want to step into this space. So again, I appreciate you giving us a bit of your time today. So greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Jeanette. Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett 
former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started.